Welcome to the Public Lands Podcast, where we bring you information, entertainment, and conversation about your public lands and waterways. My name is Mark Peddleton, and I'll be your host today, and I'm joined by three guests, bringing us three short reports from three Minnesota parks. Morgan Lackamire discusses the trumpeter swans of Baker Park Reserve. Taylor Patel describes the plant communities of the Minnesota Valley Wildlife Refuge. And Evan Banks gives us a fascinating glimpse into the horticultural history of the University of Minnesota Landscape Arboretum. After focusing on Yellowstone National Park for the first four weeks in 2018, most of the special reports through mid-May will be about Minnesota's local and state parks and preserves, while the news at the start will typically cover national and global environmental issues and events. In this week's news, the liberal Trudeau government in Canada came through with their promise to review policies and procedures enacted during Stephen Harper's conservative administration, a period during which environmental regulations were greatly reduced in favor of business interests and development. For example, there was a rapid uptick in the number of pipeline, dam, and mining projects given the green light and far fewer required environmental reviews than during previous governments. The Trudeau government issued an Impact Assessment Act, IAA, that would require more stringent environmental review before new projects are given the go-ahead. Critics on both sides of the debate were dissatisfied of the report. Oil industry representatives complained that it would hamper commerce at a time when other threats to their profit margins are rising, such as the threatened U.S. pullout from NAFTA and U.S. protectionism in general. Many scientists, public land advocates, and others noted that the IAEA failed to present regional strategies for protection, instead focusing solely on project-by-project reviews. They note that such reviews often fail to take into account broader and more systemic problems caused by extractive industries, for example. And in a related story from last year, the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA, body charged with monitoring the environmental impacts of trade between Canada, the USA, and Mexico, that is NAFTA's small arm that's supposed to monitor environmental impacts of that economic agreement, has informed the Canadian government that leakage from tailing ponds into Alberta's lakes, streams, and lakes is unacceptable. These tailing ponds are in the tar sands oil extraction regions where an environmentally destructive process is used to extract oil. I should just briefly discuss what that process is like. After excavation, oil shale undergoes what's called retorting. The rock scooped from the surface and subsurface undergoes pyrolysis, extreme heat in an oxygen-free context. Then kerogen begins to liquefy at 650 to 750 degrees of sustained heat, that is in Fahrenheit, and it separates from the rock. The resulting substance can then be synthesized into crude oil. So this retorting process leaves polluting and often toxic waste byproducts that are sequestered into tailing ponds, or as the NAFTA body noted, unsuccessfully sequestered as they instead leak out in the surrounding soils and waterways with potential damage to plant, animal, and human communities much further away from the heavily damaged landscapes of the oil sands regions of Alberta. It is interesting to note that in the 1990s, when NAFTA was being negotiated, opponents argued that it would be bad for the continent's environment because national decision-making would be undone by a more secretive international body interested almost solely in economic trade. While that very may, may very well be true for the majority of NAFTA's environmental impact, this recent censoring of Canada's negligence when dealing with their economic powerhouse 
the Alberta tar sands oil industry, demonstrates that such agreements can be more complex than simple usurpation of local and national governance and protections for public lands. For example, with the Trump administration threatening to pull out of NAFTA, the same Canadian oil and energy infrastructure consortia that fought against any attempts to regulate their industry's pollution via NAFTA, such as Kinder Morgan and Enbridge, who very much do not like the what they see as the meddling of NAFTA's environmental arm when, when questioning, for example, the Alberta tar sands. These same bodies are frightened that ending the agreement could lead to tariffs, that is, ending NAFTA, could lead to tariffs and other obstacles to the free flow of oil, cash, and trade brought by the international agreement. In other words, NAFTA is fairly complicated in terms of its effects on various environments and the aspects of NAFTA that are supported and opposed by different bodies in each of these nations and transnationally. So we'll keep monitoring that in future uh, months as we think about the environment as not something that's just local or even national, but in fact, international. And now to our special reports. Each of these excerpts comes from longer reports produced by students in a course entitled Environmental Communication at the University of Minnesota. I asked each of these students if I might have their permission to edit in segments of their audio reports to the podcast. Over the course of the semester, you'll hear clips from three types of reports. Discovery, which provide a more general introduction to public lands, mainly parks and preserves. Inquiry, which are news reports from those same sites. And finally, interpretive talks and tours, ranger-style presentations about a specific aspect of the guest reporter's public land sites. It's a pleasure to share these talented guest reporters' work with you over the course of the coming weeks. The first report is a short excerpt from Morgan Lackmeyer's discovery report about Baker Park Reserve, where she discusses the park's efforts to conserve and increase the trumpeter swan population in the park. Baker Park Reserve plays a really special role in the protection and improvement of wildlife in general but they play an especially important role for one species of wildlife in particular. That particular species is the trumpeter swan. Trumpeter swans are North America's largest bird and said to be the crown jewel of healthy wetlands. Trumpeter swans have a very distinct sound. Have you ever heard something that sounds a little like this? Well, that's a trumpeter swan. And in the early 1900s, they nearly became extinct, with less than 100 of them in the United States. They were being hunted for their meat and feathers, and their habitats were being destroyed. In 1966, though, Three Rivers began the Trumpeter Swan Reintroduction Program. They created protected homes for the swans that allowed them to continue populating. Since the program started, major results have been seen. The once population of 100 Trumpeter Swans has dramatically increased, and currently, there are more than 5,000 of these swans just in Minnesota alone. Thank you, Morgan. Next, Taylor Patel describes plant communities of the Minnesota Valley Wildlife Refuge as part of her discovery report on the refuge. While you are hiking through this amazing refuge, you are going to see plant communities such as floodplain forests, native prairie grasses and wildflowers, and wetlands. The floodplain forests are the main attraction for birds such as the red-headed woodpecker, red shoulder hawk, and the wood duck due to the prime migration and nesting habitat that these forests provide. 
While in these floodplain forests, you will be sure to see trees such as the cottonwood, silver maple, and American elm. This refuge is working hard to reestablish the once common prairie grasses and wildlife flowers through prescribed burns and invasive species removal. Actually, a quick fun fact, while I was on that nature hike with staff today, I was informed that goats are brought in to graze on prairie land to help reduce the spreading of invasive species such as leafy spurge and buckthorn. So if you're a goat lover like myself, I would suggest calling staff at the Education and Visitor Center and asking them when the next goat grazing session will be. Thanks, Taylor. Finally, Evan Banks explains the horticultural history of the University of Minnesota Landscape Arboretum. It was interesting to learn that this place began as an apple orchard in 1853. The owner at the time, Peter Miller Gideon, crossed two different varieties of apples to create a new apple called the Wealthy. This fruit was miraculously able to survive the brutal winters of Minnesota. The state legislator took notice of this new apple breed and began to fund experiments in breeding new fruit varieties. Over time, this farm began to grow and new groups took leadership responsibilities. Despite the adequate funding and interest from horticultural groups, droughts, floods, and extreme cold or heat caused problems for the many plant varieties. During the 1930s, the WPA addressed some of these problems, and the farm collaborated with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This land continued to flourish, and in 1958, the land was purchased by the University of Minnesota for a landscape arboretum. In 1967, the farm became the horticultural center for research. And in 1987, the Research Center and Landscape Arboretum formally merged into what it is today. Thank you, Evan. A big shout out to our guest reporters, Morgan Lackermeyer, Taylor Patel, and Evan Banks for this week's special reports. We'll be hearing more from guest presenters between now and mid-May. And until next week, hope you have a chance to get out and enjoy a public land or park near you. <laughs>